0: got your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5. We're going to pick back up right where we left off last Sunday uh, in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21 and reading through verse 34, Mark 5, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years And had endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him... Had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help me this morning. Help us as we focus our attention now on your word. Lord, help us to come to your word with reverence and with awe of who your son is and of what he has done and in particular of what He has done for this woman in this text of Scripture. Lord, help us to handle Your Word well. And would You apply it in ways that would cause us in our daily life, in our practical living, to worship Your Son, to glorify Your name all the more. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. On Thanksgiving weekend of 1942, Nearly a year into World War II, Dr. Vincent Senna was having dinner at a local restaurant frequented by his military peers. The restaurant was so packed that evening that the the staff of the restaurant began to pull out tables and chairs from storage to set out additional seating places. In the middle of his evening, his phone rang. One of his patients had gone into labor and needed him To go and perform an emergency delivery. Frustrated because he was trying to enjoy his evening, he left the diner, went and performed the emergency delivery, and then the news came out that the very same diner that he was at, just minutes after he had left, was engulfed in flames. That fire resulted in the mass casualty of 492 (coughs) lives. The suspected cause, decorative cloth had caught on fire. Something so small had caused so great a tragedy. That man was then thankful for what he was once complaining and grumbling about, that interruption to his evening. And I can think of numerous times in my own life that I've experienced this, that I've gotten behind the coupon lady Or the gentleman who couldn't figure out they needed to insert the chip rather than swipe the card. And they took extra time at the checkout lane. Frustrated, you become impatient and antsy. Then when you get on the road, you hear the sirens coming up to an accident that's just taken place five minutes prior. And now all of a sudden, you're thankful for what you were once complaining about. Because that interruption, that thing that calls you a few extra minutes of your time was actually a blessing. Five minutes earlier, while you were stuck behind that lady redeeming her 10 cent off deodorant coupon and you were growing so frustrated about it, now you're thankful for it. Interruptions in life can be costly. They cost us time. They cost us patience. And if we're not careful, they might even cost us our witness. But more often than not, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we see interruptions for what they most often are, blessings. And this morning, we see exactly this in this passage of Scripture. We see the blessing of interruptions. We see this, uh, this story takes place, this narrative begins, and then there's an interruption that happens. And Lord willing, we'll pick it back up next week as we look at Jairus and his daughter and the, 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 where the narrative originally started. We'll pick back up on that, Lord willing, next week. But this week, I want us to focus on this woman who had this issue with blood. Look with me at verses 21 through 24. <clears throat> When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, now remember where he was coming from. He was coming from this place of the Gadarenes or Gerasenes where he had just healed this demoniac. And now he's going back to the other side. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please, come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he, being Jesus, went off with him, being Jairus, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. While we don't know exactly what this man Jairus's position was, what we do know in verse 22 is that he was one of the synagogue officials. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing Jesus fell at his feet. This is to say that this man had garnered a certain level of respect from the community. He was a high-ranking official within the synagogue, within the church at that time. And the church was at that time also the government. So this man was well-respected among his peers. This high level of respect and rank is noteworthy because any departure from following after what this man had asked Jesus to do would have been dangerous, a dangerous path to go down. It would have been considered a flagrant act against this man's authority and stature. Anyone who stood in the way of getting to this man's daughter was in great trouble because of their act against this man. And we see in verse 25 that a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years comes up and interrupts what Jesus and this man Jairus were on their way to do. Now, not only was this dangerous because this woman was interrupting Jairus, this synagogue official, but it was dangerous because Thus far in Mark's gospel, none of Jesus and his disciples' interactions with the high-ranking officials of the synagogue have gone very well. They've all ended with the synagogue officials leaving without their pride intact. They've all started with the the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the synagogue officials challenging Jesus and His disciples. And then Jesus and His disciples prove these synagogue officials wrong and the synagogue officials go away dragging their feet behind them because they've just been shown up yet again. And so Jesus is, as it were, already on thin ice with the synagogue officials. And so for this woman to interrupt Jairus and then for Jesus to allow this woman to interrupt Jairus, was a dual flagrancy. Both of them, socially speaking, would have been viewed as in the wrong. But Jesus, again, as He's done previously in Mark's Gospel, proves to these people who are watching that He's more concerned with people than He is with practices. He's more concerned with how He serves people, how He heals people, how He points people to Himself and to the Father than He is with following all of the made-up rules and rituals of the people of the day. Now here's why we need to understand that this is an interruption. Because what happens here, starting in verse 25, is that Jesus shows Himself to be the one in control. He shows Himself to be the one who has authority over this entire situation. Before we get into the narrative of this, I just want us to stop and think about how wonderful and miraculous this would have been. Think about how amazing it would have been to see this woman healed all at once, immediately, in front of everyone. Now, we're tempted to look at this narrative without any sense of awe and wonder. And I think that there are two reasons for that. I think there are two things that we need to get out of our mind before we continue. First, as the old saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. We are, at least I hope, very familiar with our Bible and therefore familiar with this passage. We've heard it preached. We've read it. We've studied it. We've heard it in Sunday school. This is not news to us we're very likely familiar with this woman and the healing that Jesus brings to her. And so I would just encourage us this morning to try to look at this with fresh eyes, try to put ourselves in the shoes of those who were present in this time and understand how miraculous this was. Understand how incredible this healing was. The second reason I think that we're tempted to look at this narrative without any sense of awe and wonder is because we see so called healing ministries all over the place. If we turn on TBN for just a few minutes, which I would encourage you maybe not to do, we would see Benny Hinn in the game racking in a fortune on the backs of the poor who have been lied to about his so called healing powers. Benny Hinn has no power in his suit jacket that he likes to hit people with. Todd White, Creflo Dollar, Reinhard Bonnke, Nathan Morris, LaDonna Osborne, Jennison Franklin, Kenneth Copeland, Jesse Duplantis, Joel Osteen, Stephen Furtick, Joyce Meyer, Paula White, Michael Todd, T.D. Jakes, Bill Johnson, and the like. They're all false prophets. They promise something that they don't deliver. Paul called out false teachers by name in Philippians 3. And John called out false teachers by name in 1 and 2 John. If these false teachers who were just named possessed a true healing ministry, they wouldn't be hanging out in tents and megachurches, behind TV screens and in front of cameras begging for money from people who don't have much money to give. No, they would be in Cozier Children's Hospital. They'd be going room to room at the Brown Cancer Center in Louisville. They would be at St. Jude's Children's Hospital healing all the kids from cancer. They would be walking up and down the halls of the nursing homes healing everyone there, but that's not where they do their ministry. They do their ministry wherever the money is. And so we need to be very careful that we don't look at this text saying, oh, we see this all the time. I can turn on the the TBN, the Christian uh, TV channel, and see this. I, uh, we don't we don't need to read this. We don't need to be paying much attention to this. We see it all the time. We need to be very careful that we don't equate what they're doing with what Jesus does, because this is an incredible miracle that takes place. Now, do I believe that God still heals? Yes, absolutely. Yes, and amen. Do I believe that He promises healing on this side of glory? No. And so when He heals, there should be great praise and thanks given to God for it. Not the sense of, oh, God's done it again. He promised He would, so He had to. We bound His hand. We should be in awe of what He does when He does it. We need to be careful that we don't fly over this passage too quickly. We need to look intently for what Jesus is revealing about Himself in this text. Don't miss out on what happens here. Now look with me at verse 25. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was not helped, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloaks, for she thought, If I just touch his garments, I will get well. This woman who is introduced to us in verse 25 has been dealing with this hemorrhage for twelve years. Now, the Scripture here is unclear as to what exactly this woman is dealing with, as the language could literally be translated to an issue of blood, a woman who had an issue of blood. Now, while we can't be certain exactly what she's dealing with, many commentators suggest, and I think rightly, that what she's very likely dealing with here is some sort of a menstrual issue, some sort of a female concern of blood. And if this is the case, we see in Leviticus fifteen twenty-five through 27. Now, if a woman has a discharge of her blood many days, not at the period of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond that period, all the days of her impure discharge, she shall continue as though in her menstrual impurity. She is unclean. Any bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her like her bed of menstruation. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, like her uncleanness at that time. Likewise, whoever touches them shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. Now this would possibly explain why in verse 33, she was fearing and trembling after having touched Jesus, because she would have been considered unclean. Now that makes sense to me. So thus far, not only is this woman very likely viewed as uncivilized and as interrupting this synagogue official, so she would have been socially cast out, but she's also introduced to us in verse 25 as unclean. So she would have been ritually cast out. This woman had been referred to every doctor in town. Look with me at verse 26. This woman had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather she had grown worse. So it wasn't just this 12 year plateau of this difficult time, but it was continually digging downhill. She was on a steep decline of getting worse. Now, I suspect that the reason that she wasn't helped wasn't because all the doctors in town were malicious. It wasn't because we just have this conspiracy theory of all the physicians were out to get her. They were just to steal her money and and out to get this woman and hoping that she would get worse. I don't think that's what happened here. I think that maybe they just didn't know what they were dealing with. It was beyond their understanding. It was beyond their capabilities. It was beyond their time. They didn't have the methods and means of healing this woman at that time. So for 12 long years, this woman suffered. Not only from the immense pains that came along with her ailment, but also from social anxieties of being considered unclean and unfit for society. She was in pain, and to add insult to injury, she was having to deal with that pain on her own. Because no one wanted to be around her for the sake of possibly becoming unclean by being near her. This woman had spent everything that she had. And the cultural and social climate of that day is not often appreciated enough enough for the severity that marked it. This woman's suffering was for 12 long and agonizing years. No one would have anything to do with this woman at this point. Imagine if that back pain that you had surgery to heal had no healing, that there was no cure for it. If the broken bone you suffered as a young rambunctious preteen never healed and set back into place for 12 years. Imagine if that kidney stone took 12 long years to work through the body. Imagine if that migraine would not go away for 12 years from ages 35 to 47 or from 63 to 75. 12 long years, just a constant migraine of all you want to do is lie in bed. And now add to that, that migraine that you're dealing with is looked at socially as making you unclean. And so your family says, well, we can't be around you. Your friends say, we don't want to be around you. The church says, you can't be welcome here anymore. That's what this woman is dealing with. 12 years her pain was immense her social life had suffered she needed something to change she needed to be healed she needed Jesus she had spent every last dime she had verse 26 had spent all that she had and was not helped at all this woman was at her wits end she had nowhere else to go. There were no other doctors in town. There was no money left in the bank. She was at the bottom of the barrel. Dr. Stephen Lawson said that we must trust God not only when we don't understand, but because we don't understand. This woman had been to everyone who could possibly Help. She may have very well felt like she was entirely without hope at this point. She didn't understand what was going on. And I'm sure you've been at this point in life at some time that you're just looking at all that's going on and you do not understand. You can't figure out why it's happening to you. You can't figure out why when it rains, it pours. And you can't even find an umbrella to keep you safe from it. That's where this woman was. And so, as soon as she had the opportunity, she casts herself upon the Lord, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to do for her what no doctor could do for her. She believed, and so her belief compelled her actions. And such is the nature of true belief. If we truly believe in who God is and in what God has done and in the promises God has made, then that is going to fuel and compel our actions to live for Him. We're not just going to have this abstract faith that lives out hanging somewhere in the air and we say, We believe Him, but we're going to put some feet on our faith and we're going to walk in that belief. And our life is going to look transformed and renewed because we believe that there is a living and active God who is able to help us in our time of need. This woman believed and so her belief fueled her faith. Look with me at verse 28. For she thought, verse 27, she comes up to Jesus behind Him in the crowd touching His cloak and this is why, for... This conjunctive word tells us why she did it. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Not I might, I could, I should, I would. If I go to Jesus, he can do what no one else can do for me. She trusted in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will get well. Now, narratives are not normative. In other words, what we see happen for this woman doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to happen the same way for us. Sometimes healing doesn't look like being healed on this side of glory. Sometimes healing is going on to glory. But nonetheless, she had faith in Christ. She trusted that whatever God's will for her was, it was good and it was perfect. And it was glorifying to him. And so her faith, her belief, fueled her actions. Now look with me at verse 29. Immediately. Some of these teachers who I mentioned earlier, I've heard them say, well, they're 20% better than they were. They're 30% better than they were. Or give it some time. Send them to physical therapy and they'll get better. And it's all because of my healing ministry. It's because she sowed a seed and now she's reaping the benefits. She gave me all that she had left and now she's healed and she'll, heal, she'll get healed in small increments over time. Well, no, that's just God's common grace. That's God's common grace of how He built the body to be healed over time. That's not because of those people's healing ministry, but here in verse 29, we don't see this gradual incremental healing. We see immediately... Again, this is theological, not just chronological. It tells us something about what took place here. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. There is no gradual healing that takes place here. There is no therapy that she must undergo. There is no surgical performance that must take place. She touches our Lord and immediately, that is without delay, she is healed. She is cleansed. She is made new. This would have been a marvelous thing to see. Now again, go back up with me to verse 26. This woman had endured much at the hands of many physicians. And then at the end of verse 26, it says that her condition had grown worse. She had gotten even more sick as time went on. Now, HIPAA, that which protects people from having their their, their doctoral or, or medicinal information shared with other people, wasn't published until August 21st, 1996. Now, I don't know if you know this, but this took place way before 1996. Which means that those doctors were not required by law to keep secret what this woman was dealing with. And she would have been unclean. So everyone would have had to have been notified that she was unclean. And it's very likely that these doctors would have talked about this case. This woman is sick. This woman is beyond my aid. I can't help her. I can't do anything. Can you do anything? And word would have gotten around town. Gossip spreads like wildfire. Everyone would have been aware of what had happened. And now notice again. In verse 27. She came up in the crowd. In verse 21. A very large crowd had gathered around him. This was no small ordeal. It wasn't 10 or 15 people. This was a massive crowd of people. And when this woman comes up and touches the hem of Jesus on the backside of His garment and immediately she's healed, this would have been a miracle. This would have been marvelous to see. It would have been incredible to behold. As soon as this happens, look with me at verse 30. Immediately, there it is again. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him, had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? This would have silenced the crowd. Now this crowd is pressing in on him. It says in verse 24, that's literally to say they're they're almost crushing him and his disciples. There's no elbow room. Everyone's touching him. Everyone's touching his garments. So the answer to his question, who touched my garments? Everyone. And that's what the disciples say. And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. There it is again. Pressing in. They're crowding around you. They're literally right up on you. And you say, who touched me? What are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. He looks around the crowd and he immediately knows who had touched him. Now, one commentator says on this this question that Jesus asks Who touched my garments? He says that the reason that Jesus asked this was because he didn't know. Because he set aside some of his godness or his deity, some of his attributes of God. One of them, namely, being here his omniscience. That when Christ came as God incarnate, that he had set aside some of his godness. Well, this is what's known theologically as kenosis. That God has, in Christ, has set aside his godness. That he has essentially two separate Personalities are two separate beings, and he can divide between them at times, and sometimes be more man than he is God, and sometimes be more God than he is man. That's completely antithetical to the gospel. That's not what we see happening here. As Baptists, we would affirm that there is a hypostatic union in Christ that is, that he is truly God and truly man. That He is God and man, the God-man. That He is God incarnate in the flesh of man. And this is difficult for us to understand how the true and better Adam can also be truly God, both in one, neither of these two natures, undoing or outdoing the other, competing or conspiring against one another. But this is how Jesus is presented to us in the Scriptures. Not that He is Ignorant of what's taking place here. That's not what we see. There are three reasons I don't think that's the case. Number one, we clearly see in this passage the sovereign power of God at work in Christ. This woman's healed. That's the power of God. Jesus looks around and immediately sets eyes in verse 32 on the woman whom he had just healed. That's his omniscience, that's his knowledge, that's his awareness of what's going on. So even in this immediate text, we don't see that God in Christ had somehow set aside his godness. That's not what we see. Secondly, in chapter 6, just one chapter ahead, beginning in verses 45 through 52, we'll see that Jesus calms the wind and the, the, the disciples are far away from him. He sees them and then he just shows up in the middle of the sea to help them. And then he calms the sea just as he did at the end of Mark 4. We see His power, His omniscience, His omnipotence, His omnipresence, that He just shows up. The third thing is that our very thesis statement of Mark's Gospel, you've heard me say this a hundred times, is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's entire Gospel is about telling us and proving to us and stating plainly that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is God incarnate. That he's not like God or almost God, but that he is God in the flesh. And all roads lead to Rome, as the saying goes. And all of Mark's gospel leads to this final, uh, this final analysis of the person of Jesus. Jesus is God. So here's why I think Jesus asked this question. In verse 30, he asked the question, Who touched my garments? In verse 31, the disciples asked, Why are you asking who touched me? Everybody's touching you. In verse 32, Jesus looks directly at the woman who touched him, knowing full well in his omniscience. It says back in verse 30, Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth. Jesus knew what took place. So it's not that. That's not the reason why Jesus asked the question. He's asking a rhetorical question. He knows who did this. And that's indicated again by verse 32. He sets eyes immediately out of all this crowd, immediately on this woman. Now here's why I think that Jesus asked this question. Verse 33. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I think that the reason Jesus asked this question is not because He didn't know. It's because He's giving this woman an opportunity to say publicly and unashamedly that she was the one who had placed her faith in Christ. He was giving this woman an opportunity to say in front of all the crowd, it was me. I'm the one who believed. I'm the one who needed you. I'm the one who was at my wits end. I'm the one who was desperate before you. It was me. She told him the whole truth. She fell down before him. She's fearing and trembling. This is the right approach to how we approach God. We don't approach him flippantly and casually. We approach him as almighty God. The creator and sustainer of the universe. We approach him as we are prescribed to approach him in scripture. We approach him with fear and trembling. Humbled and honored that we would even be allowed to come into his presence. That is how this woman addresses him. She falls down before him on her face and tells him the whole truth. It just starts spilling out of her, pouring out of her. God, I need you. Jesus, I didn't have anyone else who could help me. I need you. And this is really a picture of salvation. That if you do not yet know Christ, this is how you must come before Him. In humble repentance and faith. Saying, God, there's nothing else that could ever do for me what You can. I can't do it. The doctors can't do it. The preacher can't do it. Church membership can't do it. Nothing can do it but You and fall down on your face in fear and trembling falling down before him telling him the whole truth god i'm, I'm not hiding anything from you not as though he didn't know already but god hears where i am i need you and look with me at verse 34 i really want us to pay attention to this and he said to her daughter daughter your faith Has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now go back with me to verse 25. Note how this woman is introduced to us. Does it say Susie or Linda, Betty? It says a woman. She's unnamed, she's unclean, she's uncivilized, unfit for society. Unfit for community, for, 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 for fellowship with anybody. Nobody wants to be around her. A woman is all she's introduced to us as. Oh, but in verse 34, she's referred to as daughter. She's gone all the way from just being unnamed woman to being daughter in the family of God. That is incredible. And he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. In this final portion of the text, we see that the disciples ask this question. Jesus sets up this opportunity for her to publicly announce her faith, to affirm and confirm that she has trusted in Christ. And what happens at the end of verse 34? Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This is given to her in the perfect present tense. That is to say, that she will go in continual peace. She will go in continual healing. Now, I don't think that this woman's still walking around earth today, nearly 2,000 years later. But the rest of her days on earth, she lived in peace, knowing that she was right with God and knowing that she was going to be with Him in paradise some glad day. And she is now in glory because of this promise, not because of what she did, but because of the promise of what God had promised her in Christ, that she would go in peace and be healed of her affliction. As we close this morning, I want to turn our attention to John 14, 27, in which Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Jesus gives us what the world cannot offer. True peace, true rest, true comfort. The world can never truly satisfy. Why is it that the rich and famous are often the most depressed and difficult to deal with? because they're chasing after the things of the world, and the things of the world cannot give peace. Only Christ can give true peace. And He promises, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be fearful. Just as the woman who was healed was given the opportunity to confess Jesus as the Lord, I would encourage you to go about your life confessing Jesus as Lord. Jesus has done for me what the world could never offer. And let that be your life's anthem. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to read your scripture, to read your word with awe and wonder at who you are. And for that knowledge, for that belief, for that faith in who you are and and, and what you have done, to compel us to come before you just as that woman did, with fear and trembling, with humility, saying that you are Lord. Help us to be unashamed, to be bold, to be faithful, to be deeply convicted that you are who you say you are. And Lord, help us to live in light of that. For your glory and for the good of your church. In Christ's name, amen.